So we like to uh, usually kick off these Ask the Pastors uh, sessions with uh, the reading of one of the scriptures. Yeah, you can be seated, those of you who are here with us. Um, by reading one of the scriptures assigned for uh, the Sunday. Uh, so I'm going to uh, start us off with uh, uh, the passage from Philippians. This is a very rich passage. I want to just read it so you hear it, listen to it. And then just kind of step back through a few of the first verses to unpack it a little bit. And as I do, uh, be thinking about how this might raise a question uh, for you, maybe, uh, uh, or, or a comment that you might want to make. Uh, so just uh, be thinking about that as you hear uh, these verses from the third chapter of Philippians. St. Paul writes, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. So this is just such a rich uh, piece of scripture. There's just so much there. I just want to touch on a couple of the things that jump out to me as, as I read through this. Uh, and, and then we'll, we'll just spend some time. And you, we, I mean, anything is fair game when we do these Ask the Pastor. So you might have something that you really would like to share related to the faith. You might have a question. Uh, sometimes these questions are related to uh, the church. Of course, there's all kinds of uh, 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 uncertainty in the way the church is moving forward during this time of pandemic and how uh, we might faithfully deal with this, and how will we look back on this time once we are through it? There's all kinds of related questions, but um, uh, as I read through this passage, just, just to step through those first few verses, because I just think there, there's so much there, and it's really uh, fascinating to me. If anyone, Paul starts out, if anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. So, Paul is saying, you know, in the natural world, in this world we're all walking around in, uh, I, I am, I'm quite 
certain of my own um, capabilities to live as a faithful uh, a Jewish person. He says, a circumcised on the eighth day, that would have been according to the traditions of the faith. Uh, a member of the people of Israel, here Paul is saying, look, I'm one of you. I'm a member of the people of Israel. We're all a part of this family, those he was speaking to. Uh, this at the time would not have included you or I, for most of us anyway. A uh, member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So now Paul's beginning to separate himself within that member of the people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin. I always think that has a cool ring to it. I can imagine leather jackets, tribe of Benjamin, you know, like sons of anarchy, that sort of thing. Uh, member of the tribe of Benjamin, Paul says. So now he's almost starting to brag a little bit. Huh? He's, he's not, just, uh, not just a member of the people of Israel, but tribe of Benjamin, but he's not done yet. Um, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, all right? So uh, a Paul uh, cannot be accused of being a, 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 a Samaritan, for instance, who were, who were thought of to be less than uh, because of their intermingling marriages and so forth. Paul's saying, look, uh, I'm a Hebrew born of Hebrews as to the law, as to the, as to the Holy Scriptures and our approach to following the law, a Pharisee. Now Paul's really starting to draw a tighter circle around himself and the status he has within the people of God. A Pharisee, a, ver a keeper of the law. In fact, they identified 613 scriptural laws and they lived by all of them. And if they looked at you and saw that you did not do that, then you were condemned by virtue of uh, that shortcoming. So as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, and this one always makes me scratch my head and wonder why of all the things Paul could have used as an example of zeal, he uses this one, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So Paul is so determined to hold people accountable to the 613 laws of God that he recognized in the Holy Scriptures that not only did he sort of look sideways at you if you didn't keep them, but if you were just throwing them all out and thought that you could be part of the people of God just because you were a member of this church, then you deserve to be persecuted. And Paul is saying, I was one of the main persecutors. It is just striking. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then Paul gets to the sort of thrust of this whole passage, having uh, set the standard and saying that the standard's high and I meet it. He says, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. And then more than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he takes it even further. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish which is a polite translation of that word in Greek, which some of you would have been offended if I gave you the real one, in order that I may gain Christ. And then he continues that passage talking about uh, the welcoming, expansive, claiming grace of God, that, that he presses on toward a goal, but that he understands Christ has already made him his own. So there's so much there uh, that I could... Just keep going, but I won't. I'll invite Pastor Natalia over and we'll open it up. If you have any questions, comments, uh, we would love to, 
just address them. We call this doing public the theology, as Pastor Natalia indicated. Uh, theology is two Greek words combined, theos for God, logos for word. It's about discussing the things of God, the things of the faith. And uh, I know that people always have questions. Uh, maybe you're one of them. So raise your hand if you're here locally, if, uh, uh, if you got something to get us started with, or maybe uh, Katie's seeing something online. If you're online, if you're on Facebook, you can put your question right in the comment, and uh, Katie will see it. Uh, and if not, I'm just going to keep preaching, and nobody wants that. So. <laughs> so you better come up with something. Brent's here, and Brent, if you have a question, just raise your hand, and Brent will get it from you uh, because he's faster, far faster than, than me. Bob, you know exactly what word Paul said because you heard it <laughs> recently in a, from a pulpit, <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> so the question was, what does, God's, what does the grace of God mean for us, for each of us? You want to go first? Do you want me to I've been talking a lot. <laughs> um, grace is a, is a hard concept, I think, for us to understand because we don't operate in the same system uh, here. Uh, the system of grace to me is the uh, unwarranted, unmerited uh, love of God. So to me, that's it encompasses forgiveness, yes, but it also encompasses love when I don't deserve it and kindness when I don't deserve it and um, God's favor and God declaring me a child of God when I don't deserve it. Uh, that to me is all in the umbrella of grace. And the frustrating part about grace is that it is for me and also for everyone else. <laughs> and so there are lots of people that I think are unworthy of the grace they have been given, and yet they are still given it. And that is beautiful and very challenging, personally. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I mean grace, is, um, a grace is a lovely word, and it's something we embrace we embrace and are embraced by, but it, it is also, there is said to be, a, you know, a cutting edge of the gospel, a sort of killing before we are made alive. And grace does just that because grace takes my ultimate salvation out of my hands. And we just love to have a little bit of control, don't we? <laughs> I mean, you know, we are pull, pull, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, Americans, and we you know, so we bristle against the idea that I am, uh, I, I am not really given the opportunity to participate uh, when grace is involved. Uh, grace is in spite of myself. And so grace, uh, grace kind of properly experienced and understood is, uh, as Pastor Natalia indicated, is it's a, it's a, it, it comes as, it comes as the, as the, so, sort of first is the is the law, which is to say, this about to happen to you, you could have not ever done for yourself. Uh, this is pure gift of God, and you are helpless against it. And so does this grace come and claim us. It's one of the beautiful sort of um, metaphors uh, of baptism. Uh, people in other traditions sometimes shake their head and say, uh, I, yeah, how can you baptize a baby? A baby uh, doesn't has, first of all, baby doesn't have any sins to forgive. That's one of the things people often say. And secondly, a baby didn't uh, decide to get this baptism. And we say, yes, all yes to all of that. That's, <laughs> you know, yes. Uh, uh, ba baptism is a gracious act 
of a gracious God. And it is done no matter what age we receive that grace in spite of our uh, readiness for it, willingness to accept it, uh, understanding of what's actually going on. It is just pure gift. Uh, so that's a great question. And I think it's what Paul is struggling with in this passage. I mean, he's saying, look, I tried harder than almost anybody I know to be a faithful uh, person of God. You know, and he lists all of his accomplishments, especially tribe of Benjamin on his leather jacket. But, but I, I and, and in the end, Paul said, it's, it's all crap. It's all rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus and, and being claimed by him. That's, that's the struggle of grace right there in that passage, you know. Online, someone else? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the <laughs> great, great question is uh, uh, essentially um, that Paul, Paul it, it appears that Paul sounds a bit arrogant in this scripture when he's kind of rattling off. Just a little. Yeah. There are, there are um, uh, scholars who, who call the whole p- passage annoying, uh, and that Paul is being just annoying. And yeah, there you go. And, are there, and the question was, are there other examples of, of disciples being you know, somewhat arrogant and having to be reeled back in. Right away, I think of uh, the sons of thunder, James and John. Hey, yeah. Jesus, let one of us sit at your right and one at your left when you come into your glory, you know? Um, what makes them think they ought to have two, you know, high-priority positions over the other disciples who are standing right there at the time, you know? So, yeah, it does happen. Yes, Paul does sound arrogant, and uh, and he does it in other places, Uh you does I mean you know it's all of that is very comforting to me you know <laughs> that that here's this blowhard going on about and then you know all the disciples and all of their foibles and getting things wrong and sinning and all of it and still out of this batch of folks Christ builds the church you know so there's hope for us this is you know this is grace for us all right way to be we're at run Brent the run. far other end of the lot. A question pops up, but if you're able, if you were able to see Brent is sprinting across to get the question, <laughs> then he has to sprint over to us to relay the question because we don't have the capability, wireless capability, to send him out there with the microphone just yet. So, um, also, we were joking that this would be an adult game of telephone, and we were very curious to see if the question yeah. that someone asked between right. Brent writing it down and getting it to us would be the same question that the person thought they asked right. from their chair. So we, we figured while, by the time Brent got the question and then relayed it to us and then we relayed it to you, by then we could answer any question we wanted. So, but. so how, does, how, how the does the, the, the question, the sort of a, a more of a theological concept, and it's deep and gorgeous, um, how, how does um, living out, Paul kind of in the beginning of that passage describes out living what a living a law according to living a life according to fidelity and an attempt to be faithful to the laws and standards of God there's that how does that life and that effort compare to uh, if if we say that that isn't ultimately where we put our trust in our own status in our own salvation our own relationship with God but all of that is counted as loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ, then what does, what, what is, what's the difference? What's the contrast between living a, law, a life 
uh, uh, trying to you know live up to the law uh, uh, compared to a life living according to uh, faith and grace. Is that anywhere in the ballpark? Yeah. All right. We got a Thanks. thumbs up. Nice. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, to me, when I hear that, I think I think of two two stories. The first is when Jesus sums up all the law and into love God and love your neighbor, right? So, so basically, Jesus is saying, if you're only going to do two things, let it, let it be these two things. The rest of the laws, I can sum. I can tell you everything of all those six hundred and whatever number laws. I can I can sum them up into two things. So here's what you need to spend your time working on. Um, and Luther, when he was, you know, Paul reading Paul is really what pushed Luther to to move towards this model of grace that we as Lutherans believe in so strongly. Um, and uh, part of what he said was, we follow the law for the sake of our neighbor, not for the sake of ourself. So it's this, it's this motion into God's love, God's grace for you, frees you from following the law for your own sake, right? So you're not following these laws or taking care of loving God and loving your neighbor for your own sake. You're not doing it to as Paul says, you know, be a zealot and be the best you can be and be all these things. That's all rubbish, right? That's none of that matters because God has called you good and God has called you loved and God has named you and claimed you. But the purpose for doing those things still remains for the sake of your neighbor in need. So when we are wondering why we do this, it is for the sake of your, it is not for you. Um, doing this stuff doesn't move you up some magical God ladder. We're all on the same level, but your neighbor needs you to act towards them in love. And, and those laws, the laws of the land, uh, then and now are meant to help protect your neighbor in need. And when they don't, then I think our call is to flip a few tables, but that's just me. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that, um, I think that, that love for your neighbor or the least of these or the most vulnerable is kind of a, a, a linchpin, a keystone for understanding most of the gospel. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting The you know, Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to complete the law. And, and so there is this sense where, um, uh, you know, are striving to be good people. You know, it's, we've never let go of the quest to try and do the right thing. Um, it's more about where we locate our own identity. And, and that, uh, for Paul, had been in his, his fidelity to the law of God. Um, that, for Paul, had been in his excelling in keeping that law and being so wholly committed to it. Um, so, you know, sometimes the, the concern when we get into these conversations, when we get into this part of the discussion, is that, uh, that those of us then who embrace this whole idea of grace as a sort of freedom from the law, um, that, that is... Uh, it's an easy way out, of, you know. Uh, it's just too. It's too easy, and then we and they, you know, they speak of a cheap grace. You know, uh, Bonhoeffer had plenty to say about that. Uh, 
which is why I always like to begin by saying that, that grace properly understood is not easy. It's never easy. It's, uh, it kills you before it raises you every single time. And so um, for me to try and live out of a sense of, of faith rather than out of a, a fear of the law is where I locate my identity. In the end, I, you know, in the end, just a sort of a little aside, my brain goes funny places, but uh, you know, just an analogy for me. I, you know, when I went off to to do to begin being a pastor, and I and I was thinking there was a large part of myself that was saying, "This is crazy," and I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm I don't I'm, I'm getting in a little Azuzu pickup and driving to Philadelphia where I don't know anybody, and I'm going to start. I'm going to show up and go, "Hi, I'm your pastor." I don't have the first clue what that means, you know, and. And But part of me always knew that I could turn around and say, you know what, I'm right, that was crazy, I want nothing to do with that, I'm, I don't know how to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm going home. I knew always I had that option available to me, I could bag the whole adventure, go home and try some other path, because my family would be there, they love me, they would say, yeah, we never really... Thought of you as a pastor anyway, and, you know, welcome home. I knew I could do that. I want to say that the, this, this tension between law and grace is a similar thing in the world. I want to try to be a good person. I want to, uh, I want to, I want to go out. I want to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. I want, to, I want to know the laws of God. I want to steep myself in the standards of God and try and love my neighbor as myself, which I know I don't get anywhere near uh, but every day I turn around and go back home where my identity is located in the grace of God. I'm a baptized child of God, and that ultimately is where my status comes from, both in this life and the next. And so that frees us up to go out into the world and try to be a good person and try to reach out to those less fortunate and try to uh, do something for the least of these and try to advocate for the poor and the downtrodden and the outcast and so forth. Keep swinging, keep trying, sin boldly is the way Luther put it. And you can always turn around and go back home and say, you know, I gave it a shot, but, you know, not yet. And that's grace. That's grace that welcomes you home, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, and now I'm home. That's, that's grace. So that's a great question. It's a great way to, to, to pose the issue. Um, the online question was, can you show, can you talk about, sorry, I already forgot it. This is, this is my problem. Can you talk about the idea that we need to show transformation in our lives, i.e. better living, as proof of our faith? Oh, that is so good. Um, I just finished. I was supposed to be, unfortunately, uh, COVID ruined yet another thing. But I was supposed to be at this conference I've been going to for a couple of years, uh, Evolve Faith, this weekend. And I, they did it all online, of course, and it was lovely. And Kate Bowler, who we've watched, we've read her book here as a community, her her TED Talk is a part of our group life this fall. She often says there's this idea that, um, that you know, we, we believe in grace as this thing that says to us, you know, there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. And she's like, and we can all be like, yeah, 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 I get behind that. And then she's like, the other side is there's also nothing you can do to make God love you more. 
um, which is harder for some of ach- the achievers of us in the room. <laughs> um, and that that becomes this idea that, oh, you have to, there has to be some sort of like, you've, you've like shown what a good Christian you are and you've shown that your life is somehow, I mean, I, I do think God's love changes you. I do think that happens. I don't think that needs to be some sort of like, I, <laughs> uh, Forgive me for just a hot second, Bob. But I got stopped this week by somebody who who was upset that I had used unholy words in the pulpit, uh, which I did. I I for sure did uh, (laughs) at at a funeral this week. And I I said the phrase in response, holy words don't make a person holy, just as unholy words don't make a person unholy. Um, And that comes back to the same idea that (laughs) <laughs> what? Yeah. That's Phew. Yeah. Is, that's great. Thank you. Like, good. Um, thank goodness. Right. That's the same idea that we have decided a, a preset of things that that we've decided make somebody holy. Uh, when it all comes back to what we've been saying kind of all morning, which is only God can call you holy. And I think um, the fruit of God calling you holy is is good. Right. Like what comes what comes out of a holy person is holiness but that i don't think that means like like language isn't it and having a beer with dinner isn't it and you know not dancing isn't it like those things to me are not those are not the things that make a person holy god makes us holy and so i feel i feel pretty passionately about like performative faith is a thing that we are contending with right now a lot people say they're christian people say they're doing this work. People say they want to take care of the least of these and their neighbor in need, um, but they are not. They are not doing that. And so, to me, there is transformation that happens, but I don't think we get to determine what that looks like for every person. Um, so, I don't know. That was a was a word salad of an answer for me. I'm sorry. No, it's. Uh, it's a good. It's a good thing to kind of talk your way through. That's kind of thinking through it. And and I, um, this was a real favorite of uh, one of my favorite professors, Gerhard Ferdy, <laughs> who had, had wrote a lot about um, sanctification and the whole idea of the progression of a Christian. And and uh, you know, I was blessed to be alive when he was alive teaching. I mean, he was a he was a theological giant of our uh, generation, and if not uh, more than that. And, uh, he, and But he was also kind of a curmudgeon, and he had a kind of sly sense of humor, and all of his lectures always kind of transformed themselves into sermons until sometimes he was almost yelling. And, and uh, on, this, on this topic of sam- sanctification, when he was arguing with even other scholars and theologians about you know, over time, shouldn't a Christian show progress, you know, shouldn't you get more holy and better and and so forth and so on. And he would always kind of finally get to, you know, speaking directly to the person making that claim, well, you know, look at you, (laughs) you know, as if to say, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not, I do not discern a, a particularly holy person in front of me trying to make the case that one can over time be sanctified in such a way that we just keep making improvements, keep making progress. And not that we shouldn't try, again, 
try to be better people and hope to be better people. And I, um, for me personally, when I think of this kind of stuff, and I have all kinds of examples right around us in this community of faith. There are all kinds of people, I almost wish I could name you and line you up here, uh, that I look to as people who are, if there is a, such a thing as making progress in the, in the Christian faith, there are all kinds of people who are way, way up the line from me that I look to for inspiration and example, whose whole countenance, their whole approach to life is looking for what they can do for somebody else. I mean, sometimes we have to turn them away from helping or volunteering because we know that their own physical health is vulnerable and they are inclined to go storming in and serve and help uh, when it, it puts them at great risk. So I, I, I look to folks who inspire me and motivate me to try to do better. But um, I have no... Uh, delusions, and that's what they would be, that I have, you know, that I'm quite a bit better this year than I was last year. You know? <laughs> <Sorry>. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I uh, mean. <laughs> Nadia Boltzweber, she has this great analogy where, where she says people often hope that faith is like the buffer that comes along and shaves off our rough edges um, to make us shiny and perfect. And she says that she thinks the rough edges are what God uses to grab onto us. And I just find that to be such a beautiful image that that we get to keep all of our rough edges and the things that somebody might point to and say that makes you less holy um, as a thing that God God grabs onto and uses in the world. I think that's really beautiful. So I remember a time where I posted a picture of me drinking a beer and somebody in this very community was like, oh my gosh, Pastor Tali drinks beer? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. That's and the that, second time beers come up in this. I know. <laughs> so when you're this cold, you just want to have... <laughs> Uh, but I'm just, I'm, there's things that we've decided make somebody holy. And I, I think we just need to be careful about what we, what we describe as, what we ascribe holiness to. Because I think we, that just gets us in, in record keeping. And I think we've talked plenty of, around here about how that's not our, it's not our job. <laughs> ah, great stuff. Good questions. Any others? We kind of. The time goes quickly, and yeah. it has again, and we covered some really deep ground. And really, this we do this every once in a while, partly because it's it's super fun and different from the normal sort of rhythms of worship, but also because it models for you ways that you can do this on your own. You can pick up a passage of Scripture and walk through it and see what occurs to you and what jumps out at you and what you're surprised by, and things come up like, wow, doesn't Paul sound kind of arrogant here? And yeah, yeah, he does. And are there other places in the Bible where people are arrogant? And yeah, you could look them up. You can Google it and find it and discuss it and think about it and talk about it with friends. And that's what all of our ministries are about, our, our group life ministries. It's about kind of you know, uh, um, getting together and discussing these things, doing public theology. So we did a little bit of it again here this morning on a, on a chilly fall morning, but it was worth getting together here locally, and we're blessed by your presence with us uh, online. Uh, and we, we're grateful for a community that has it uh, within itself to, to make time for just such a thing. Thank you for being with us on this Ask the Pastor Sunday. We're so happy you were here and for these beautiful, thoughtful, lovely questions that we were able to talk through together. Um, and a reminder that uh, this is not just one day where we're like, hey, this is question day. Uh, this is a part of who we are as people of God, that we are people who have questions, 
who struggle and doubt and question and wonder together. And so if you have a question, uh, Pastor Chad and I are always available to answer questions and to talk with you through a thing you're wondering about. So remember that this continues on from this day into the days forward. So on this beautiful fall morning, um, take your questions, take your struggles, know that God loves you, um, names you, claims you, whatever you are wondering about, whatever you are struggling with. And we go into the world with love and peace to serve the Lord. Thank you.